You know, in the midst of all your difficulty, in the midst of this ugliness, this harsh disease, you have brought me beauty. How wonderful. That's my stuff. This is Caregiver Storyteller, produced by Caring Kind, the heart of Alzheimer's caregiving. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Caregiver Storyteller, a storytelling podcast about Alzheimer's and dementia caregiving. I'm Chris Doucette and I'll be interviewing caregivers to get their stories about Alzheimer's and dementia caregiving. Occasionally, I'll also interview the authors, advocates, researchers, healthcare professionals, and people with Alzheimer's and dementia to hear their stories too. So, are you ready? Here we go. My name is Nancy Henley, and I live in Queens, New York, and my relationship with Alzheimer's disease is a really big question. Right now, I'm currently a dementia care trainer at Caring Kind, and I've been doing this work for 14 years. I've been in dementia care for about 20 years. So that's a short answer to a big question. (laughs) A short answer for a long career. Yes. What has turned into a career, yes. It has turned, you make it sound like it was a kind of accident. It was, yeah. How did that come to be? (laughs) I sort of fell into Alzheimer's disease. I was teaching art at senior centers around Queens, and one of the centers was opening a place for people with Alzheimer's disease. I honestly didn't know what it was. Um, No one in my family had experienced Alzheimer's, and I just didn't have contact with people. I was Mm -hmm. with healthy seniors all the time. But they liked how I was with healthy seniors, and they said, hey, we're opening a center, and we want you to be the director of a social adult day program. How did that go? Uh, uphill, capital <laughs> U, <laughs> capital U. Uh, I was given a mentor, actually, and this person had set up programs before, so I was really fortunate because I had a really good guide. Mm-hmm. Y- you know, I hit the ground running, and I did everything at that day center. I drove the bus. I delivered the meals to people, mm-hmm. I ran the program, hired people, interviewed family members. I did a lot quickly, mm-hmm. yes. So it was trial by fire. I mean, most social adult day programs do people in middle stage, so mm-hmm. I was dealing with people in middle stage Alzheimer's disease. Mm-hmm. What was it about that work that you enjoyed? It was pretty weird because I needed a full-time job. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it was given to me as a full-time job. I was like, okay, yeah. great. It, I mean, it's been a really long time, so it's it's kind of hard to remember how the first part of that was, how yeah. the the meeting of Alzheimer's was. But it didn't really take long until I sort of fell in love. What was happening was I was falling in love with every client that I met. Mm-hmm. I, And it's a very interesting thing, uh, that in itself. But um, I got really, really fascinated by the illness, by what was happening with people, by what they retained, Mm -hmm. by what was left, looking at the relationships between the person and the caregiver. You know, it's kind of a very rich tapestry. I'm willing to pull out any thread you're interested in. I. It's been a, a lot. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I love a tapestry, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, so well, wh- why don't you pull out one thread from your early days? What 
is there a is there one person or one caregiver who you remember from your early days that you fell in love with and you think back on? I feel like what keeps me going in this work is what I what I gained from people with Alzheimer's mm-hmm. disease. And I had one woman, she was painting a, a really kind of silly wooden box, like a, I think it was a birdhouse we had put together with glue, and, and she was painting it red. And, you know, it was really basic. Mm-hmm. And 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 she was saying, it's it's really beautiful. She kept saying that it's really beautiful. And I was like, yeah, yeah. I really wasn't engaged in it. I really couldn't get that what she was seeing was beautiful. But something about her saying it and sitting there long enough with her, I kind of had a eureka moment that was like, wow. It really is beautiful that she's able to come from this far in her illness and, you know, coordinate doing this thing. And the color was kind of excellent, you know, mm-hmm. like a beautiful car, or something. Uh-huh. <laughs> that red color. And I, I was like, oh, you you brought me in. Look at you. Look at what you brought me to. Mm. You know, in the mm. midst of all your difficulty, in the midst of this ugliness, this harsh disease, mm. you have brought me beauty. How wonderful. That's my stuff. That's what really keeps me going mm-hmm. with Alzheimer's disease because that's one story of many Many stories. So I learned from people with dementia, and I thought, well, hey, this is really strange because, you know, most people discount this stuff. Most people say it's over for them. And here's something else going on that is really rich and really valuable to me in my life, Mm -hmm. you know. So that was all beginning. You know, it's funny. That sounds like about it sounds like it's about living in the moment right there's so much talk about being present and meditation is and is is so popular right now because it's all about how to appreciate the present uh and that sounds like an example of someone with dementia who helped you appreciate the moment like being present is that fair to say yeah, I think I think the present moment has something to do with it. Mm-hmm. I have several stories of the present moment that I, that I bring into training mm-hmm. that I talk about the um, uh, the bringing beauty. I mean, sometimes I talk about you know the beauty among the ruins, the beauty, uh, you know, despite what's going on, mm-hmm. despite ugliness, maybe even if you want to go that far, but you know, it's it's. It's beauty, it's presence, and it's acceptance. Mm -hmm. There's this incredible lesson about acceptance in this illness that that I have learned. I'll just even go there. (laughs) I think I think I've learned. I think I bagged that one because I've been doing it for so long. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, let's let's put all of this into some context, and so let's back up a little bit. Explain to me and to the listeners what you actually do as a dementia care trainer and who you train and 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 kind of the world that you do on kind of a logistical basis here at Caring Kind uh, so that we can then understand the context of, of the work you're doing so that we can 
then get into the nitty gritty of of lessons learned. Okay. So what what does it mean to be a dementia care trainer, and who are you training? Okay, so I'm a dementia care trainer here at Caring Kind, and I train both professional caregivers, that's people working in people's homes or CNAs, um, working in facilities, as well as family members. And what's a CNA? A CNA is a certain certified nursing assistant and ah, okay. home health aide, yeah, as well as family caregivers now. So the professional caregiver training is about 46 hours. It's one day a week for six weeks. And the family caregiver workshop is four sessions of two and a half hours, so it's 10 hours. Mm -hmm. So I'm training mostly home health aides, but also family members now. In the beginning, I was only training professionals. Mm -hmm. So those people, the professionals are getting a really deep education about Alzheimer's disease, which they don't get otherwise, basically. Um, and that's why they have to come here to Care and Kind to get that kind of expertise. Right, because we concentrate solely on dementia care. Mm -hmm. So, And is there, do you experience a difference between family caregivers versus professional sure. uh, caregivers? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Talk about that for a second. Well, because my background was actually as a professional caregiver, right? Because I was doing the social adult day program, mm -hmm. um, it was a lot easier for me in some ways to relate to the professional caregivers, right? Because I, I didn't know the people that I was working right. with. You I just a met them. Member, right. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So um, the family member experience has been quite different. Yeah. How so? For me. It's a little hard to say without revealing too much about myself, but I, I am also a family member. I take care of a child who's mm -hmm. very sick, and I've mm -hmm. been taking care of her for 20 years. Mm -hmm. So I think that my experience doing that is family member. I draw on that experience because family members are really far inside the illness. They, mm -hmm. They're right. It's sometimes hard to emerge at all because you get because of all of the issues surrounding the family member. Right. Yeah. You know, and I think that it's very easy to play in the professional uh, caregiver training. And, and I believe that professional caregivers really need a lot of relief and play and uh, enjoyment and relaxation while they're here even, self-care if you want to call it that. Um, and family members need it too. It's a little harder to access with family members, you know. Is there one thing that you do now that is so much more advanced than something that you did 10 years ago and, yes. and that worked. Yeah. yeah. Like like what? Now I, I'm learning to hold a room, which means that I'm holding whatever's going on instead of filling the room with my amazing and wonderful self. You know, I, I mean, I've done a lot of education before mm -hmm. this job and I did um, performance art. I my background is in art. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, the urge to fill the space with all of what I know uh, is very strong. Mm -hmm. So I sort of have to have a wrestling match with myself to kind of, you know, sit back and recognize 
who's in the space because there's so much experience in the room when I do the professional caregiver training. So much experience that I, you know, I need to learn to sit down and just hold it and allow people to contribute to the training in, in mm-hmm. the way that they can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. I'm a better trainer for that now. And have the have the people you've trained changed at all? I don't know. I just finished a training yesterday mm-hmm. with an amazing group of people, really. Mm-hmm. I, I would always say that after training. But uh-huh. um, I called this group the innovators because they requested that I make a game show for their training mm-hmm. about dementia. And so I found a Jeopardy template, and we did a Dementia Care Jeopardy game mm-hmm. with them. So they brought that to the table, which is now being put into our training. So I'm, I'm much more open to, to having them bring something to the table mm-hmm. and, and just looking at it and being very curious about it and allowing them to contribute. I don't know. So it's less about just lecturing strangers and oh. more about listening to where they are and kind of working, working with them at that place. Well, I mean, I have people in the room that have been working for 20 years mm-hmm. in the field. I, you know, I, I hold a very small candle to that, <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. because the work yeah. that they do is so profoundly yeah. difficult. They, you know, I have a great, great deal of respect for them. Yeah. Yeah. And because some of the stuff that you have to do as a caregiver is not intuitive, you, you really do need the information mm-hmm. to to have it go better for mm. the person with dementia and for you, um, they come because of that. Do you have, any, what's the best example of that that's not intuitive uh, in taking care of someone with Alzheimer's and dementia? <laughs> well, an easy example is just agreeing with them. Mm-hmm. That's our first rule of communication is agree with the person. You know, they say, well, it's going to snow today and it's you know 99 and you go well i bet it is going to snow look at that sky mm-hmm. you know <laughs> that's pretty hard because we're pretty logically hardwired people right you know to just go like yeah hey yeah yeah, yeah those socks are blue no they're <laughs> really orange okay all kind of kind of allowing that you know that's that's an easy one yeah but yeah. It, it is not intuitive it's not intuitive not to correct someone. Right. I think really seeing pictures of the brain, seeing what happens, seeing with your mm-hmm. eyes what mm-hmm. happens with this brain um, makes a very big difference for most people. You see that in your, your trainees, that, that a light turn on oh, or yes. you see a change in they them? They say it, yes. Yeah, they say it. Oh, what do they say? That's Oh, how could I argue with that person? Oh, so they see the picture of a brain change, and they're like, oh, my goodness. How? Oh, what did I do? Yeah. Oh, my God. I didn't yeah. get it. I didn't see. If you can't see it, you know, sometimes you need to see it with your eyes right. to understand it. Right. So some of that stuff goes on, you know. Right. And we do exercises right. of what it might feel like to yeah. have dementia, and sometimes those exercises. Someone in, in uh, the graduation yesterday mentioned that exercise. She said that exercise where I'm trying to go one way with a pen, but I can't go because I'm using a mirror. She said that exercise was it for me. She yeah. said, I'm, I'm completely sold on this program. I think it's very hard once they get the education because they look back and see, 
oh, what did I do? I remember a long time ago, one of my trainees said it was a lot easier for me to do this work before I came here. And I was like, okay. And she said, yeah, I didn't really understand what I was doing. Now that I understand what I'm doing, it's harder in a way. It's harder in a way. It's better, but it's harder, you know. When you can dismiss other people as as not human enough or not normal enough, it's right. a little easier if you have your armor on. That's an interesting way to put it. Is Do you see that as part of your job as a trainer is to help people take off that armor? <laughs> yes. Yeah? Yes. Do you, Are people resistant at all? Do you get resistant people? Uh, yes. I mean, they've come here to, to get information, and but like you just said, uh, change is hard, and people are resistant to it, especially if it goes against their grain. Change is really hard. And, you know, even the simple idea of logic and reason and being able to let go of logic and reason. When did you learn logic and reason? Oh, since whatever, you were six or seven. Right. Are you going to let go of it today? No. I mean, I don't, I used to, I'm sure when I started, I thought, well, you know, I'm really changing everything. I'm not, I know now that I'm not changing everything. I'm just, I'm planting a seed of an idea. This, consider this, try this, because it may make it easier. It may make it better. My expectation of people, you know, fully taking this on is a little bit different, but I think that's healthy, you know. I think there's just growing in this field and growing in myself. Sure. Yes, it's all somewhat funny. When you said that, I thought about, yes, I'm cracking nuts in the room. I think I'm like, open up, open up, open up. It's a wonderful experience. Training is wonderful. I love it. I still love it. I'm passionate about it. I get to perform and I get to be creative in the curriculum and I get to meet people from all over the world, which is really cool, you know, Um, from the Philippines, from Africa, from Jamaica, from lots of places. And uh, so it's been really great that way. But when my mom passed away, uh, I went, this was a few years ago, I went out into her backyard and... Something about being in her yard, kind of like, I got a message. Let's just say I got a message that said, I guess because my mother's life was over, I I was thinking about being a kid, and I was kind of ignored. I was the middle child, you know. I didn't really feel seen, and I think that's a pretty common experience for kids, and for whatever reasons, but... I was always looking for myself, like I was looking in spoons and the toaster. I was actually looking in all these things, and everyone said, oh, you're so vain, you're always looking at, it was a little bit true, but um, what I realized at that moment was I was actually looking for myself, that I didn't kind of know that I existed. I really didn't know. I was kind of checking in, and I had one aunt, my Aunt Martha, who loved me, who saw me as a child, she was kind of like my bridge to life. Who was I? She was it. I got that message at that time. And I went, oh. I said, oh, that's why you do this work. 
Because the person with dementia isn't seen. And you know how to get there. You know how to find them. And I do. And I've learned, you know, over the years how to do that. Whether it's dancing with them or tickling them or uh, sharing a cigarette with them. Which is the story I really want to tell you. But um, that, uh, that was really profound for me. Because it said to me, you know, this is your life driving this work. It's not just a job. You know, so that was pretty cool. <laughs> that was pretty cool to figure out, you know. And it just kind of came to me. And I was so grateful. You know, and, and sometimes a major life event sort of shifts you. Right. Uh-huh, and then, you know, all kinds of things emerge. So that emerged. Is there anything in the way that you train that's changed since that epiphany? And I don't know. You know, my work is always changing. <laughs> it's pretty hard to grab hold of. It's the artist's know? mind. Well, it is. It is, yeah. Because, you know, it's all creative you know and I, and part of doing work with people with alzheimer's disease is being able to shift and change and be flexible and try something new i mean there's so much creativity in in trying to deal with people with alzheimer's disease it's just not a straight manual you know okay do this do that do this it doesn't work in the best circumstances you're trying to find a way in Sometimes you know one of my one of my clients or people with dementia, as I like to call them, is saying things, and and I felt like oh this is kind of like jumping from rock to rock in the creek when you're a kid, you know, and you you have to make the jump, you have to make the next jump wherever she's talking along, and I'm trying to jump to the next to the next so that I can kind of pull it all together and. and understand what she's trying to say because lots of times people are making incredible sense nobody you know like okay well i don't have the skills to like add that up well you do (laughs) you do sometimes (laughs) you know at sometimes and when you're ready for it and all that kind of stuff and and you know i've been particularly invested in that i've been very invested in in understanding people with this illness. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll call this person Mr. McLaughlin. Yeah. And uh, he was one of my favorite people. And he was way into Alzheimer's disease. And he was in the first center that I worked at. And um, yeah, he was probably 80 something, maybe he was 86. And he had dementia. And he would couldn't hear very well at all Um, and he had a very thick Irish brogue and he smoked a lot so he had this very coarse gravelly voice and pretty much he couldn't be conversational I mean you know he would say funny things one time I was dancing around in the morning and he just kind of wryly looked over at me and he said drunk again you know (laughs) (laughs) he was he was a gas (laughs) but um but I mean his day-to-day life was pretty difficult he didn't know where he was um 
He was pretty lost in time and space and fairly limited in his ability to communicate with people. So we're sitting outside, and I've taken up smoking with him. And I don't smoke, but uh, I'm relating. Yeah, I'll do anything to relate. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> Even if it includes smoking. Good for you. So I'm sitting outside because we had an outside area there, and I'm smoking a cigarette with him because we're just, you know, doing that. And um, we're looking at a, a picture book from his childhood. And he had 13 brothers and sisters, of course, big family, right? And um, several of them were nuns. He's pointing them out to me and a couple of priests and whatnot. And, and I'm always looking for a handsome guy. I don't, you know, didn't care even if he was dead. <laughs> he was <laughs> handsome at some point. <laughs> So I go, this guy, I'm like, this one, this one. And he goes, ah, he says, my brother Pierce. And I'm like, oh, he was very handsome, you know. And I'm not going to yell here because, you know, I'm like in this little microphone and whatnot. But everything we're saying is really amped up because I'm yelling. I'm going like, he was very handsome because he, he can't hear me and he right. doesn't wear an you know, hearing aid. Hearing aid. Yeah. So he was very handsome. And so he starts coughing because he's been smoking forever and he starts coughing, right? And stops coughing. And we have to start over. He has Alzheimer's disease. We start again. Your brother Pierce. I, Pierce, he says to me. <laughs> he was very handsome. Ah, yes, he says, he's a very handsome man, Pierce. And then he starts coughing. Do you see where we're going? Yeah. Okay, so he starts coughing. So I go and I get him a glass of water and I come back and I give him a glass of water. And we start again. Your brother Pierce. <laughs> he was very handsome, right? And we go through this a bit and I'm not really exaggerating this took about 40 minutes oh my goodness. to get through this thing that we did. Yeah. So he's very handsome. Uh, and I'm yelling, did he have a lot of girlfriends? And he says, did he have a lot of what? I said, girlfriends, you know, people that liked him. He goes, ah, he says, that was never so important. Now I'm like, what? Because... This guy doesn't have a conversation generally. So here we're into a new realm now. He's he's saying, that was never so important. And I'm like hooked. I'm like, what? Yeah. What is going on? Tell right? me more. Tell me more, right? Well, tell me more in this situation where he's coughing and spitting and choking and I'm giving him water and we're starting back <laughs> from the beginning again and I keep going back to the beginning, right? So we get to this place where he says, that was never so important and he says, the important thing, the important thing, and we stop, and we have to go back. I'm not kidding you. I'm, we go back and line the whole story out again of the important thing. He says, is that a person is genuine, like they listen to you when you're talking, like they listen to you when you're talking. That one killed me. I just cried. 
Wow. I just sat there crying. I was like, yeah, that was really hard. That was really hard to listen to, but that was definitely worth it. Yeah. <laughs> that was definitely worth being in this seat. Yeah, I still feel that way. I still feel like it's worth sitting in this seat. Yeah. Because he says, it's not so important what you look like. It's not so important how many people like you. What's important is that you're genuine. Yeah. That's a pretty big life lesson there. Yeah. You know, I'm carrying that one around. And you had the patience to listen to that. Yeah, I did. And not everybody has that kind of patience. No. And I don't even have it all the time. I just happen to have it. That day. That day, that time, that gift. Who knew? Yeah. But that's that's the beauty that I know. Mm-hmm. Part of it. You know, and that's one. Do you want his wedding story? It's pretty cute, too. Because we're walking around the center one morning, and, and um, we can't get him to sit down. I mean, normally we can get him to sit down, and he can't walk very well, so... Somebody has to walk with him all the time, wherever he goes, walking, walking, walking. And um, he won't sit down for toast, and he won't sit down for tea, and he won't sit down for a cigarette. He won't sit down, walking, walking everywhere. And I'm tired, man. We get tired because it's like an hour into this walking thing, you know. So I bring him into my tiny little office, and I sit him down. And I'm just like, all right. I said, <laughs> come on. Tell me what's going on. We can't get you to sit down. And he says, well, and he he looks down and he's looking kind of sheepish. And he says, well, he says, it's not every day a man's getting married, you know. I was like, what? What? And he goes, got to make sure the guy's got their money. So this is his wedding day. He's on his wedding day. He's walking around trying to ensure that everything's okay for him to have his wedding. You know? I'm like, oh, my God. And he says, I said, it's okay. The guy's got their money. Everything's set. We're going to, it's all going to be fine. And he says, do you think it's all right if we have a drink before? I said, yes, let's go. Let's go have something to drink. We can finally sit down. We'll have some tea. But I mean, it was like, that was too much, man. Yeah. That was too much. And, you know, I, 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 I don't know. I guess you could look at that and say, oh, isn't that pitiful that he thought he was, mm, yes, okay. But isn't it, isn't it beautiful that, that, that I can help him and comfort him and and we can enjoy this moment, whatever it is, whether he's getting married or not. And I laugh. I mean, you hear me laugh, right. and, and people right. are like, oh, you can't laugh at dementia. Man, we laughed. Yeah. Honey, we laughed. Yeah. We all laughed a lot, and it was a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun. I have had a lot of fun with people with dementia, really. Yeah. And I have a lot of fun in training, too. How so? There was one of my trainees who said that she was trying to get the woman, the person with dementia, in a wheelchair out a doorway, which is a pretty hard thing to do. I mean, doorways come in all sizes, and wheelchairs come in all sizes, too. So so um, she's trying to get the person with dementia out the door, and the family member, I think it was her son of the person with dementia, came along, and he said, he was like, you can't, even do this 
He's like, you've been doing this work for a long time. You can't get her out the door yourself. And the woman had been in training for like four days maybe. And she said, you know what I would have said to that guy if I hadn't been in this training? She said, I really would have given him a piece of my mind. You know, because not only was he not helping to get his mom out the doorway, but he was giving it to the aide while she was trying to do it, right? right? She said, I really would have given him a piece of my mind. And she said, but instead I was quiet. She said, I didn't say a word to him. And she said, later that day, when I was giving her mom a, his mom a bath, he came in and asked me if he could help me. So something about what she had learned there to to compose herself, to hold herself, mm-hmm. to know that maybe he was in pain or he was struggling. I think that kind of understanding, mm. that story stopped the room. It wasn't a funny story, but it stopped the room, yeah. Right. I like that she said, you know what I would have said to him? <laughs> I was like, yeah. But she didn't. You know, there's so so much grace and composure in that. Right. That's the beauty. Right. It is hard. It's yeah. about recognizing other people's struggle, whether they have dementia or whether they're a family member yeah. or whether they're the bus driver or whatever. It's about recognizing struggle, pain. And that takes empathy. Lots of it. Do you see people learn empathy? I've been in a room full of people who who mostly self-select to be there, meaning they want to know more Mm -hmm. because they're not given anything. They have no information lots of times or very little information about a very complex and difficult disease. Mm -hmm. Empathy. um, I know. We're all learning. Uh, We're all learning along the way. I don't know that people cannot learn empathy it is about learning yeah it is about learning about stuff we talk you know we do some listening exercises sometimes people have never done a listening exercise before right and one woman said um after the listening exercise because she went home and started listening to her husband because she wasn't listening to him it wasn't the person with dementia it was her husband and uh, he started calling her sister and saying what is wrong with her is she cheating on me? What is wrong with her? There's something going on. And it was that she was listening to him. So she took the skills from the room, used them in her life, and, you know, her husband was just like, what? What the hell is going on here? That's really cute, right? That is cute. It's a really great story. But, yeah. um, it, I mean, the dementia care training is a lot about establishing relationship, a lot about communication. These are... You know, really great skills to have in in all of your life because you're trying to communicate with people who are very much losing their capacity to communicate. Mm -hmm. So they have to be sort of like the the ninjas of communication, Mm -hmm. right? And if you can communicate with a person with dementia, then you can certainly communicate with someone who has many more skills than they do and enhance your relationships all around. Start listening to your kids, for instance, that kind of thing. And and that's very difficult, especially in this digital age. That's changing everything. Mm -hmm. It really is changing everything. Mm -hmm. Communication is, ooh, it's really, really different. Is that the the majority of what your training is really all about, is helping people learn how to communicate? 
Well, I think it's one of the fundamentals. Yeah. I mean, you know, we talk about activities, and I've recently come upon some stuff, and, and that was, I give credit to my last class, the class that graduated yesterday, my inspired class, all of you are listening, I hope, that they've inspired me to dig in more, to find out more. And so I've come upon some new ideas about dementia. And so what I'm thinking about right now is just how profoundly confused people with dementia are and how much activity they need to feel valued, like they're doing something valuable, and to fill their time with activity to kind of dispel the confusion. That's a new idea. I mean, that's not a new idea, but it's something that I'm working on putting into the curriculum. So we work on activities. Mm -hmm. We work on behaviors. We work on communication. Those are the things, really, that we concentrate on. By saying behaviors, I'm trying to understand that people aren't just acting unusually because they're acting unusually. There's something going on. And I really remember something. I I was in New York City very early on because I've been here for about 35 years. And some woman was walking down the street, and she was lighting matches. And and I think I was in a taxi, and the taxi driver said to me, poor woman. And that was like a bell ringer to me. I was like, oh, she's a person, and she's really, really struggling. Like somehow she came inside. She was one of us. Mm -hmm. She wasn't out there. And so, you know, I think the goal, one of my goals is to bring those people with dementia in. They're back. They're back. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're people. They're people. They're like us. Mm-hmm. Like, we're confused. You ever get confused? Yeah. Yeah. Been on vacation, landed somewhere, didn't know where you were, didn't, couldn't speak the language. Blah, blah, blah. Confused, right? Mm-hmm. You know that feeling. They're walking around with that feeling. So they're not so different than you are. There are some major differences. They're really struggling with their brains, you know, their, their brain failure. But... um we know confusion. It's not so unusual. We know, but but sometimes we just need a light. You know, sometimes we just need a guide mm-hmm. to help us to know that better. Yeah. When you meet a caregiver who is responsible for caring someone with Alzheimer's or dementia, what would be your main piece of advice? <sighs> Two words, you matter. You matter. The caregiver matters. The caregiver is is important. Mm-hmm. That's that's very important to know. I think it's very easy to get lost as a caregiver. Mm-hmm. That you are only the support. You are only the giver. Yeah. So I think that that you matter, um, and also that there is help. You don't have to be by yourself. This is an amazing organization. You know, I've been here quite a while, mm-hmm. uh, that there are many people here who understand this, who understand what you're going through and can be helpful, whether it's education or whether it's support group or, you know, whether it's training. All those things are, you know, they do help people. I have seen that. You know, we do help people here. And that's a pretty important thing to know, you know, and that you can survive this. You can survive caregiving and not only survive, you can actually thrive every now and then. 
you know? You can enjoy your life. You're, you're allowed to do that. And I, I think that's a pretty difficult permission for caregivers to give ourselves mm-hmm. that life, mm-hmm. life still has things to offer in spite of this. And that's probably what I learned from people with dementia. Mm-hmm. That life still has something to offer, even them, in spite of what's going on. So... I, I think that's kind of the bottom line. Yeah. You know, there's still life. There's still life to be had and to be enjoyed in spite of all the sorrow and and, and pain. There's mm-hmm. still life. There's more. I, I think there's more. Yeah. There's still more. And and I don't know. I think that might be hard to hear. I, I've, you know, a caregiver, give me a good swat for that one. You know, um... <laughs> And I got that. I know it. Yeah. I know it, but I stay in it. I stay in it. I don't know. I think I have, you know, some pretty good faculties and some, <laughs> some I, you know, some self-worth. And yeah. I think it's worth hanging in here. That's what I think. Yeah. I think it's worth hanging in here. And you've got to find ways to do that. And there are ways. To take care of yourself so you can take care of others. No. To take care of yourself. Period. Period. Mm. Yeah. Because that take care of yourself so that you can Mm -hmm. is, you know, it gives you a job to do so that you can do a better job for someone else. Mm -hmm. I say take care of yourself because your life matters. Because you matter. You matter. The person will definitely do better. If you take care of yourself, the person will definitely do better. But we're taking care of ourselves because we are here. Mm -hmm. We are given this life, and it has its problems, and it has its trepidation, whatever's going on. Yeah, we take care of ourselves. I don't know if that's the caring kind official message. (laughs) So, you know, I don't know. Well, that's Uh, okay because this is is about your message, and that was a, a good message to hear. My message is take care of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Nancy Henley, dementia care trainer at Care and Kind. Thank you so much for sharing your stories with us. My pleasure. Thank you, Chris. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to share your story, go to caringkindnyc.org slash podcast. Maybe we'll use your story on the show. We'd love to hear from you. Please subscribe to this podcast and leave some glowing feedback. We love positive reinforcement. I'm Chris Doucette, and you're listening to Caregiver Storyteller, produced by Karen Kind, the heart of Alzheimer's caregiving.